Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. I think a really key lesson that I've learned from sports that it uncovered this longing for glory. The second thing that it did is it showed me how self-centered that pursuit of glory was, mm. how much it was about me, how much I wanted people to think I was great. And now here's your hosts, Noah and Bjorn. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the 41st episode of The Sweat Room. My name is Noah Corston, and alongside my co-host Bjorn Webb, we're so pumped to have you today for our episode with Bob Schindler. This is week four in our final week of our leadership series, and what better way to cap it off than with Bob Schindler? You're going to hear more of his bio once we dive into the episode, but he's the director of Seed Sports. It's a sports ministry, and he's also an author. He's a leader. He wrote a book called Does God Care Who Wins? Not only is that a great question, but that is a great book. It's a short read. Get your hands on that book. So excited for you to check that out afterwards. Highly, highly recommend. And if you haven't checked out our previous episodes of this leadership series, do it. It's been incredible to interview four incredible men and four incredible leaders. One of which is Jason Romano, who is an ex-ESPN producer, and he runs Sports Spectrum Podcast. We had Dan Webster, who's the founder of Authentic Leadership, leading some of the best leaders, quite literally, around the world and across the country. And Brad Gray, who specializes in contextualizing the Bible and one of the best communicators that we've had on. And we're finishing with Bob Schindler. He is the man. I'm so excited for you guys to hear what he has to say today. And if you're new to our podcast, our motto is get it, got it, give it. We're always in every phase of this, always learning, always teaching, and always applying. And we like to say here at the Sweat Room as well, everybody has a story. It's just a little bit different platform. And wow, you're going to learn from Bob today, and he's going to say incredible things to you, things that will make you pause and reflect. I know I've said that a lot during this leadership series, but it's true. Get your notes app on your phone, get a pen and paper out and write some things down because Bob is going to challenge you and you're going to really think through some of the things that he has to say today. And we want to welcome wherever you are listening today. We just found out today that we have listeners in South Africa. So welcome wherever you are. This podcast is going quite literally around the world and across the country and in the Buffalo area. We're a podcast that is based out of Buffalo, New York, right by the Buffalo Bills Stadium. They're rocking it right now. Go Bills. And we're excited for the future them, but it's just been so great being on this journey, and if there's any way that we can serve you as the listener better, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear suggestions for the show, critique, and any way that we can make this show better for you, feel free to let us know. And before we dive in, make sure to check us out on social, at Watermark Sports, on Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter, it's a little bit different, it's at Sweat Room Pod, and if you didn't take notes or didn't check out uh, just your notes app on your phone and get pen and paper, We have a blog, so if you really missed out, go check it out at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog. So without further ado, here is our episode and final week of our leadership series with Bob Schindler. Well, today we want to welcome to the sweat room, Bob Schindler. Welcome, Bob. Glad to be here, guys. Yeah, so... To our listeners, Bob is the director of Seed Sports. He served there since 2003, and prior to that, Bob served as a pastor for 18 years in eastern Tennessee. At two different churches, Bob started sports ministries that served both adults and children. 
Before he entered into vocational ministry, Bob played professional golf for four years and was in business for six years. Bob is currently pursuing his master's in religion with an emphasis in Christian thought at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bob published his first book, Does God Care Who Wins, in 2017. Bob is married to Beth, his wife of 44 years, and has seven grown children, one daughter, three sons, and three daughters-in-law, and also has three grandchildren. So we're so glad to have you here, Bob. We're super excited for this conversation. And as our listeners can tell there, you're somebody that has a ton of experience, a wealth of knowledge, and we're just excited to share a glimpse of that with our listeners today. Yeah, it's probably obvious that I haven't figured out yet what I'm going to do when I grow up. So if maybe this conversation today would lead me further down that path, that'd be really helpful. So (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, Bob, as we mentioned there in your bio, you played a few years of professional golf. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious for you, what's the hardest shot in golf? Well, it's a great question. And I I would say the hardest shot for me is the 40-yard bunker shot, which is not the bunker that's right next to the green. Typically, it's back away from the green. And the reason it's so hard is because it's such a precise shot. You have to take just the right amount of sand. But at the same time, it's not a shot you get to practice very often because Mm. most golf courses don't have bunker shots or bunker uh, facilities that would enable you to hit that shot. So it's a really hard shot. So, so you're telling me that you're supposed to stay out of the sand when you play golf? Well, uh, <laughs> no, not this, no, you're supposed to stay out of the sand that's like 40 yards away. That's the idea. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> more, than, more than the sand in general. In fact, uh, most professionals would prefer to actually be in a greenside bunker as opposed to the rough by the green because it's a mm. more predictable shot. They practice that a lot, and they can get that predictable much more so than they come out of the rough, coming out of the rough by the green. But that's a, diff- a greenside bunker is different than the one I'm talking about, which is way back. You know, like those 30 to 40 yards away from the green. Well, I'm not good enough. So most of the courses I play on, they don't even have bunkers 40 yards away from the green. (laughs) For me, what kills me in golf is the chipping. Every time my chipping is terrible. I I would prefer a 40 yard bunker shot than chipping 10 feet from the Uh, hole because I'll shank it all the time. It's it's so aggravating. So for you, what is special about golf as a sport that other athletes may not realize? Well, first of all, I think all, all sports are special. Um, my, my favorite sport growing up was actually not golf. It was football, mm. uh, and, um, love with you, love the game of football. Thought it was really a, um, just a very strategic game that I, that I got and I understood kind of what was going on. And so was able to excel in that, but I thought, and then baseball is my second favorite sport, but as I, as I got older, I started playing golf, which is a whole other story. But um, one of the things that I've done over the years is is thought about what makes different sports attract different kinds of people mm-hmm. to that sport. So one of the things of uh, here's a couple of things that I think is different, maybe more so than special, but it's different than other sports. What makes golf different? One of those is that golf has a variable field of play. Mm. It has um, different lengths. So the basketball court for adults is always 92 feet. Tennis always has a, a defined uh, court length. Baseball, it's always 90 feet to the first base, second base, third base home. Mm-hmm. Golf has all kinds of variable lengths to it. Um, 
It also has variable grasses, different surfaces. Now, there are some sports that play on different surfaces, but not to the variety that golf is. That very significantly affects the way a shot is hit and then responds. Um, it has different layouts. Sometimes holes go to the left, to the right. Sometimes they go to the left. Sometimes they're sharp to the right, sharp to the left. It's just variable layouts and under different topography where you've got, if you're in the mounds, it may be going up. If you're in a valley, it may be flat, up and down, those kind of things. And then you're playing outside, so there's got different weather conditions. All of that pushes players to acknowledge how out of control they are in the game. So the other aspect of that that makes it a challenge is golf is a target game. You're hitting to a target. So all those variables play into how close you can actually get to that target. And so that makes those variables that much more impactful. And guys that are really good at golf understand at great detail what those variables are. And Bryson DeChambeau might be the great example of how much he studies today, how those variables affect the game. I think one other thing about that, too, that makes it very unique is that the mistakes that you make on the golf course with those variables carry through to the whole round of golf and the whole tournament. And what I mean by that is when you play like the Masters, it was just played several weeks ago, every score is cumulative. So you can imagine how that would be different if they played the NBA Finals or the uh, Major League Baseball uh, World Series. And the way that you won was the cumulative runs or goal or, or shot points that you scored in those seven games. It would make that each game that much more important. A blowout would control the whole series then in that way. So that's another piece of golf. One of, I'd say one other thing that's interesting about golf to me is that in the four to five hours that you typically play, the ask, the time that you're actually playing golf is less than a fourth of that. Most of the time, you're just thinking. And because golf is a what's called a player-initiated sport versus a player-reactive sport, mm. all those variables, all those impacts that, are, that you're thinking about, if I make a mistake, really mess with your mind in the time that you have all this time to think. And that makes it a really a challenging game mentally in that way. So those are just some things that I've – I've thought about that make golf different, maybe more. And some people might say frustrating. Some would say special. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Those, those are definitely some things that I've never, you know, fully thought about with the game of golf, but when you say it, it makes so much sense and man, does it make a whole lot of sense why I get so frustrated when I play golf uh, ditto. and <laughs> I, I have been somebody that like, I, you know, I, my highs and my lows are all based on my confidence. Yeah. And yeah. in golf, it's like, if I hit a couple good shots, then man, I can start to play well. And then once I hit a bad one, so I, hit, I hit one shot into the pond and then it's all right. You know, then it's downhill for the next four holes because it does <laughs> it. It accumulates as you go. Yeah. You can't and, just and, say and, like, all right, next game. It's yeah. Well, and as you said, as you said, Bjorn and, and uh, Noah both, it's frustrating for everybody that plays. That's uh, all those things <laughs> that I just mentioned make golf frustrating nobody ever masters the game of golf you might say a bull or a bulls a 300 has mastered bowling or the pitcher that's pitched a perfect game may have mastered baseball in that way nobody ever gets close to mastering golf it's always frustrating i, I tell people that usually um they think 
professionals aren't frustrated like they are. <laughs> in, thir- in 18 holes, an, a professional might hit 36 shots, approximately. That's not including putting, just 36 shots. If he hits those, if he hits one out of six of those, or somewhere around 10 to 8 to 10 to 12 shots, like he really wants to, he's had a phenomenal round of golf. Mm-hmm. So that means if it's one out of six, um, that means he's failing 84% of the time. Now, it, his failure may not be like my failures. His failure might on a wedge shot leave, a, leave the, the ball 10 feet from the hole, where for me it might be 20 feet. For somebody else, it might be missing the green. But the feeling of frustration and failure is just the same. So everybody walks around when they're playing golf mm-hmm. feeling like a failure and exposed. I don't care whether you're Tiger Woods when he made, when he made the 12 in the most recent Masters on or no, I'm a 10 I'm sorry on number 12, he talked about how alone and exposed he felt. This is arguably and some uh, some people would say the greatest golfer, at least one of the top two greatest golfers that ever lived. But yet at that moment in time, he felt extremely exposed and frustrated. So that's one of the other aspects of golf that that really makes it frustrating and addicting. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It keeps the drive going. Golf is one of those where, like you said, I will never fully master it, but it drives me nuts because I'm like, you hit one good shot. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling great. Then the next shot, I'm like, oh, that was awful. Right. <laughs> yeah. That is very – that's a very common experience, Noah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There, there's nothing like that feeling of you step up to a par three and you drop the ball within five feet of the pin. There, there's nothing like that feeling. I tell you, when I've only maybe hit a few of those shots in my <laughs> life. But when I have, I'll tell you what, my ego and my head is just about as big as it gets. And it, I would compare myself to Tiger Woods. That, that's how I, that's the emotion that but did I go through. you make through. the five foot putt? See, that's a, that's a different story, <laughs> Noah. That's a whole other question. But the point, and again, Bjorn, I think that's a very common feeling. Yeah. Both the high and the low of golf like that. So, yeah, I think anybody that's played any golf at all can identify with exactly what you just said. Sure, sure. Well, Bob, I want to get into a little bit of, okay, let's compare sports to life now. And let's get into this a little bit. And you mentioned how, you know, yeah, you played a little bit of professional golf. But, yeah, football may have been your first love and some other sport, baseball and stuff like that. So, Throughout your life, if you can maybe narrow it down, what are three sort of life lessons that you've learned from sports? Well, uh, there's lots of them. It's kind of hard at times to narrow down to three, but I would say the first one is how much I long to be good. Mm. At whatever sport I was playing, I wanted to be good. And what I've uncovered from that is that's a longing for glory. That's a lo- what the Bible calls glory, which is this inherent intrinsic greatness that also gets recognized by people. Mm-hmm. Praise and honor of the brilliance or inherent greatness. So glory, I wanted both of those. I wanted to be good, maybe even great, and then I wanted others to recognize that. So that was the first, I think, a really key lesson that I've learned from mm-hmm. sports, that it uncovered this longing for glory. The second thing that it did is it showed me how self-centered that pursuit of glory was, mm. how much it was about me, how much I wanted people to think I was great. And, and this was a great thing to understand, particularly in the light of the fact that I was, as a Christian, I was born 
to not glorify myself, to not make myself great, to not have other people recognize my greatness, but to make God great and to recognize his greatness. But when I saw that that recognition, how long, how much I long for me to be great and for people to recognize that, I could see something of what the sin in my heart really was, mm-hmm. which then brought me to the third thing, which was how deep the love of God was for me in that longing for my own greatness. That's set up against him and makes me an idol in my own life. And yet God would pursue and love and continue to be loving toward me. And so those are, those are great things that I've learned as I've seen my own pursuit of glory, as I've seen the self-centeredness of that, and yet God's love in that, in that, in the midst of that. Tim Keller, a mentor of mine from afar says it this way, we're far worse than we've ever imagined and far more love than we've ever dreamed. Yeah. And I've seen that very clearly come out in my, in my sports experience. Can you repeat that one more time for our sure. listeners? We're far worse than we've ever imagined. So that applies to me that the glory is really about me. When I get down to it, it's really about all about me, the self-centeredness. I'm far worse than I've ever imagined, but far more love than I've ever dreamed. So God continues to love and and care for and pursue me in the midst of that self-centered pursuit of glory. I I remember going through your book, uh, Does God Care Who Wins? And I, you have that, you have that quote in, in your book. And I remember that, that stopped me. I had to reflect on that. I'm like, wow, this is really good. You had that in another CS Lewis quote in there. And I was like, Oh man, these are two guys who are just modern day. They, they'll speak right into you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for you, I'd love to know just for you to tell our listeners a little, how did you come to know Christ? And I would love just to ask a follow-up question why do you have such a passion for sports ministry with that? And how does your story and sports ministry go together? Well, I did not grow up in a Christian home, even though I, uh, and didn't really ever know anybody that told me they were Christian. And, and, and even though I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, as I mentioned, um, I, if you'd asked me if there was a God, I would have probably said, yes, I'm an American. Doesn't everybody uh, think there's a, there's a God? Mm. Um, but it wasn't until I was at the end of my senior year of college that I met the first person that told me they were a Christian. And uh, they actually shared with me the story of the gospel. I'd never heard anything like that, that there was a God who created this world to flourish, of which I was a part of. But then in my self-centeredness and hardness to him and my desire to be my own God, like all the other people, I fell from that relationship with him. But God was not willing to leave me in that place, but sent the hero of the story, Jesus, to right every wrong, to to recover all that was lost, and to bring me back in a relationship with that, to where I was now part of his family again. Well, I, I heard that for the first time, and I thought that's the greatest news I've ever heard, that somebody would love me that much. And so the next day, I actually decided to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that was um, uh, that was quite a long time ago. Um, and and it, though it 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 ties into my passion for sports in this way. Um, I think sports are an incredibly valuable bridge to connect people and an incredibly valuable laboratory to develop them. So let me, let me unpack a little bit what I mean by that. So because I didn't ever know a Christian until I was 22 and really saw God and me as disconnected until that day, 
And then all of a sudden got connected through the gospel and through the work of, of God in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, I, as I, that was a very intoxicating experience for me because I experienced not only what it felt like to start over, mm-hmm. not only to, to feel like I could talk to God for the, uh, like I'm talking to you guys, but I also sensed on that day that I trusted, that I decided to follow and trust Christ. I, I understood what it was like to be loved for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to share that with other people and found out for the next several years of my life that there were lots of men out there just like me who saw God over here and me and, and me here disconnected spheres. And, and so what I needed was a way to connect with them. And often it would be through some kind of sports experience. Maybe it was playing basketball or was when I, when I was, uh, before I started playing professional golf, then it became golf, then it became other sports. But that was a way for me to build relationships over time that we could have these discussions that would then turn into what I call redemptive conversations, mm-hmm. where life would get um, unpacked. And I'd share a little bit about what was going on in my life and how Christ was answering that dilemma and they'd be interested and we would then over time talk more and more about what they believed and and uh what what they were going to for their solutions to their life problems so it was a, i found sports to be this great bridge so because i have a passion to see others connect with the gospel i found sports to be the best bridge and not the only bridge but i found it to be the best bridge out there it it crosses socioeconomic barriers gender barriers race barriers, age barriers, even ability barriers. It, it, it is a way to connect with people. It's a bridge. So that's one of my reasons I'm passionate. The second is because it's a laboratory. It's a great laboratory. Now, I was a chemical engineer by education, and I almost was a chemistry major. So I spent a lot of time in laboratories. And what laboratories are, are safe environments where things get revealed. Mm. Now, that revelation is not to stay in the in the laboratory it's supposed to go out into life mm-hmm. well as a developer of people what you want to know is what's really going on in the heart of a person mm-hmm. if you only are talking at the surface level you'll never really get deep development until the the deeper parts of that person are revealed whether that's about marital truth or about financial truth or about work truth or about walking with God kind of truth. So what a, what a developer needs is, is a place to find that revealed. Well, sports is this incredibly default mechanism where, like we talked about, our frustration comes out, <laughs> right, in golf. But other sports, my anger, my, my revenge motives, my my discouragement or whatever, all those different things are right out there for everybody to display because on the field or on the pitch or on the course, my filters get lost and what, who I am gets exposed. And so because of that, if that's handled correctly, if I go, why was I so discouraged by the round of golf today? Why was I so mad when I hit that shot that way? It, it revealed things in my heart that allowed me to self-develop to go to Christ with those things. like, look, once again, did you see it was all about me today? Mm. It was all about me wanting people to think I'm a good golfer. Mm. Jesus, would you please, please, please make my heart different. Transform my heart to where it's more about you than about me. I would find my greater satisfaction in seeing you honored instead of me. So, and then at the same time, seeing that with other people. 
mm-hmm. asking questions like, what was that all about? I tell a story uh, often, this happened uh, several years ago, but it was it's a great example of this for my own self. Um, I was playing basketball because basketball became my real sport of choice after I quit base, after I quit golf. Um, I love basketball. It was a fluid game. It was a very fun game. Well, and, and when we moved from East Tennessee to Charlotte, the church that I was going to had a, a, a open court pickup basketball thing going on on every Monday night. Um, so I started going, playing. And it was a five, you know, it was just pick up, five on five. If you lost, you sat out, you know, kind of thing. So it was real competitive to seven by ones, okay? Um, and I'm playing, and I and typically I got matched up next to this other guy often. We were both kind of the same size and same ability. And so one, and over the course of several weeks, I found out this guy was the son-in-law of the pastor because there was a bunch of non-Christians that were playing in this, people that were not part of the church and also non-Christians. So I learned that's who he was and assume he's a Christian. Well, in one particular game, um, I'm – I. I can't remember if I stole the ball or if there was a rebound and I'm going to go down the court on a layup, breakaway layup and score the seven point. And now we're going to go on. And I got right to the point that I was just about to lift the ball up to, to lay it in. And I got pushed from the back by the hardest push I've ever had in, in any sport that I can remember. And we didn't have pads on the walls. Mm. Fortunately though, I, I was able to stop with my hands. It could have really hurt me. After that was after that happened, I said the next time he comes down the court, I'm taking him out. Mm. So before we lost, sure enough, he goes to my left. I stick my knee out, and he goes sprawling over the over the floor. His my, his knees hit my knees, but we did lose. And I go to the sideline, and God says to me, "Bob, what was that all about?" Mm. And I had to face my anger. It's right there for everybody to see. So I go up to the guy after a little bit later and I say, hey, look, I'm really sorry for doing that to you. And he says, okay. And he walks away. He didn't say he's sorry. And now I'm mad again. <laughs> I got to deal with that again. But this is all what goes on in the laboratory of sports for me, for everybody that plays. And so it's a great way to develop people as well. So that's part of why I'm passionate about sports and sports ministry, because it provides this bridge and this laboratory. Amen. Mm. Wow, that, that that's so good. I think that's a, such a great snapshot of, of what sports ministry is and, and why we do it. And for you, Noah mentioned a little bit earlier, but you wrote a book called Does God Care Who Wins back in 2017. And I'm curious, I, I read that book with Noah and I've read it and I love it because I think it, it makes me think about a lot of different things. And I answered the question a lot differently before I read it than afterwards. And as I sort of you know, seeked answers well throughout that and had conversations. But for you, when was the first time sort of in your journey that you started asking that question? And maybe why did you start asking that question? Yeah, I, I think it's a great, uh, great question, by the way, Bjorn. And your experience is often what I find with people that they'll answer it one way when they think a little bit more about the question, they go different with a different answer. Mm-hmm. So I really for uh, face that question the most head on when I went to my first tour school, um, after practicing for several years, uh, um, I then went to what's called PGA qualifying school or tour school as a, uh, shortened version of that. It had nothing to do with any education. It was, you just went and played for four to six rounds of golf and whoever made it through those, the, the certain number were the ones that advanced onto the PGA tour. 
They don't do that anymore. Today, they have like the Corn Ferry Tour where you play for a season and then qualify. But it didn't matter if you were the number one golfer in, in collegiate in the collegiate world. You had to go to tour school. And if you didn't play well that week, you're out. So in the qualifying that I went to, the top 15 were going to advance. And um, at the end of the, the last day, or go, going to the last day, I was in 33rd place. I played well the first day, then got sick on the second day, was tied for 11th the first day after the second day getting sick. I was tied for like in the 60th, played well on the third day. I moved down to 33rd, but I had a lot of ground to wake up, I, I make up. I was going to have to play really well. And fortunately for me, played the best round of golf of my life that last day. Wow. Hit 17 greens, all 14 fairways, and shot the low round of the day. But I finished two hours in advance of everybody else that was playing, the guys that were above me. And I had to just wait to see if they shot enough above what I shot to make up ground. And as I sat there and watched the, the leaderboard, I keep going lower and lower. I'm making progress, making progress. Finally, after two hours, I'm tied for four, 14th with five guys. So two of us were going to advance. The other three were going to be out. Now, two years later, the PGA determined that if anybody made a playoff, they wouldn't. you automatically went. They didn't have any playoffs at that point, if you tied at that point. So, But we go to the first hole. I bogey the first hole, and I'm out. Mm. So two years of working on my game, 292 shots that actually went that day, and I'm out. Okay? Now, I'm walking back, and I call my wife from the clubhouse and say, did God care about what happened today? Mm. And I was a pretty new believer, about four years old in the Lord at that point. And I was really trying to integrate my Christianity in my golf. And what had happened on particularly that last round, there were several. I had two putts that actually came back at me <laughs> that could have gone in. I had another putt that went 90, you know, I guess that's 270 degrees, like went that way. And I'm thinking if any one of those makes goes in, which were highly likely, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm not even in the playoff. If I don't shoot the low round of the day at the same time, I'm not even in the playoff. Mm -hmm. So the question to me was, did God really care about this? And so I, I, that's when I really started wrestling with the question. And I honestly really thought, yes, he did, and rewards those who are good with victory and punishes those who are bad with defeat. And I re that's what set me on the next several years because that's what I felt. I thought I must have done something wrong because mm -hmm. God could have easily given me the victory, right? Any of those putts, whatever. But I thought I must have done something wrong. And because of my background, that's what I wrestled with. So that's what sent me on that, that journey that took really several years, lots of study and prayer and, and talking to other people to come to that, to what I wrote about in, in, the, in the book that was published. Wow. That is so good. Uh, so many different thoughts run through my head, especially in terms of putting, especially, I mean, I, that's gotta be so aggravating in, in that sense. And then, but the bigger question of that wrestling aspect. And I think what I've taken away, and I, I'm not going to dive way too much in your book and reveal all that's in there. Cause I think people should read it. It's, it's a, really about a hundred pages, just over a hundred pages. Yeah. It's a yeah. short read. You can read it. You know, it, there's a lot that I walked away. I was like, that's a lot of information for a short book, which is great. That's how I love books like that. But I walked away from your book thinking, man, there's a lot that God cares about. Mm -hmm. And I think what is our posture of whatever we do? Mm -hmm. 
And I really enjoyed that. And you're a gifted writer. And Bob, I, I'm so excited to have you even for this episode because you're in the middle of our leadership series right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're the, our fourth episode of that. And for you, what makes a good leader? And what have sports taught you about leadership? Well, I think um, I would encapsulate that as uh, by asking everyone to think about what makes a great coach. Mm. A great coach moves people, just like that's what a good leader does. They move people, not in the direction necessarily that that person wants to go, but in the direction that the coach wants to go. Wow. No great coach goes to their players and say, what, do you, what kind of offense do you want to run? What kind of defense do you want to run? No, they say, this is the offense we're going to run. I've determined that. I'm the coach. This is the direction we're going in. But he, any good coach at the same time, besides setting the direction, they also particularly analyze all their players. What are their gifts? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Where, do they, where would they fit in the best? What is their personality? What, is their, what are their, what are their uh, attitudes? So that they would, a great coach not only determines the direction, but he helps that player see where they best fit in moving the team down the field or on the court or whatever toward that direction. And then that because they analyze every their players, every great coach motivates differently. They all need to be, all players need to be motivated, but they're motivated differently. Some guys need to be yelled at. Some guys, you don't, you, you don't, you better not yell at them. Some guys need lots of feedback. Others don't. And so just, I think good leaders are like good coaches. They set direction, they analyze and help players best know where they fit into that overall direction. And then they know how to motivate different players by, by according to their, the needs of that player. So I think a good leader needs those three things. That's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, that's good. And, and speaking of leadership, you're right now sitting in um, a, a pretty good leadership position in seed sports mm-hmm. um, and seed sports seed is spelled C E D E for those that are listening. Could you tell us a little bit about what Seed Sports is and why that came about? Sure. So, first of all, let me. Uh, seed is a is a word. It's not an acronym. It actually means to yield or submit. You seed a piece of property or piece of land. Several years ago, Rush uh, uh, Syria seeded a piece of ru- of land to Russia that was in their property. They yielded it. They submitted it. Well. Seed sports is about yielding or submitting, not just to Christ, although that's a piece of it, but to people like you guys. Mm-hmm. We're about making you successful, not about making a name for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do that in two ways. We work with sports chaplains and with churches. Um, our sports chaplains are in many different sports, in many, in many different levels of that sports, we try to help those sports chaplains be effective in the role that God has given them in variety of sports, genders, and levels, like I said. In the level of, of churches, we try to help churches become more and more of all that God intends them to be in the story of the gospel with regard to sports rec and fitness. So we come along as, as, as mentors, as connectors, and as equippers to help those either sports chaplains or sports rec and fitness leaders become much more effective. And it came about 
from the, the founder of our ministry by the name, his name is Bob Dyer. And Bob had experience in both of those realms. He was a chaplain with Motor Racing Outreach, but before that he'd spent several years at a local church and founded one of the largest sports ministries in the late 80s and early 90s that was in the United States as, at that time. They went from, their first initiative was T-ball with, they'd hoped for 50 players, they got 150. They had no fields, all they had was grass, uh, green space, and within two, three years, they had 2,000 families involved in this, mm. this ministry. And so Bob saw this need for other churches to get information about that and for other chaplains, and that's why he started what was then called Carolina Sports Outreach that has been renamed uh, to Seed Sports. Wow. And, and Bob, I, this is totally off script, but I want to ask you a question of what has been one of your favorite moments or stories that have come out of seed sports that you've seen during your time there? Wow. That's a hard, it's like choosing your favorite child. I'm sorry. Now I, I think, um, I think for me, I would say my favorite moments are when that sport rec or fitness ministry in a church or a sport or a chaplain sees God use them in a way that really advances the, the kingdom. And we've had a part maybe in playing that and helping them to, to do that. We've helped them to understand more about what a gospel-centered sports ministry or chaplaincy would look like, how to make the gospel integral to everything, integrate into everything we do. And then God using them to either reach people or develop them through this, what we said was this tool of sports as a bridge and a laboratory. So when our greatest thrills are when actually we see others really succeeding, seeing the affirmation of God. And, and, um, that, 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 and I, I, I have to, I can't narrow that down to one story, but that principle, when I see that happen, that's my greatest thrill. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I can, I can really speak to the impact that seed sports has had on me. And I, you know, I didn't know anything about seed sports, didn't know it existed. Um, and I went to, uh, the reach gathering, it's a sports ministry conference that, that you and seed sports help, um, put on. And it happens once a year. And I went at this point is about a year and a half ago, getting close to two years ago. It's in the spring. And I went and I met, I met Jeff Fox, who's one of the, I don't know what his role is. He's a mentor, a coach, something like yeah, that. We just call him coach, uh, church coaches. That's what we church call coaches. Yeah, exactly. And, and I got talking with him and this was, this was even before sports ministry was officially a ministry at the church that I work at now. And first of all, that, that conference was, was transformational for me because mm -hmm. I, I got to see, you know, I, I was walking into that conference in a place in my spiritual journey where I was asking these questions of, man, God has really given me this passion for sport and connecting with people and communities through this and sharing the gospel through sports. But how do I do that in a local ministry? And is that possible? And I started to see a little bit of ways and ways in which God was working. And when I walked into that space and I looked around and I saw, you know, a ton of people that do this in Texas and North Carolina and Africa and around the world, I started saying like, yeah, okay, this, this can, this can happen. And then I could start asking the questions of, okay, but how can we do that? How do you do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it was powerful at that conference to be able to ask some people that have been doing this for years and years. Okay. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? What's something that I should do now that you wish you did during your first, first year of ministry. Good question. Yeah. And it was, 
it was transformational for me. And from there, that relationship that I built with Jeff, I've been talking with him. We meet at least once a month, sometimes even more. And we talk and he, you know, really disciples me and mentors me and talk, you know, helps me wrestle with some of these questions. Um, and that's been really transformational for me. And so I know nobody here at our church knows what seed sports is. They don't know that I meet with maybe my boss does, but besides my boss, nobody knows that I meet with Jeff once a week. But the seed sports and that ministry that you're a part of, Bob, has it's transformed this community in ways because of the ways the 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 impact that it has had on me and on Noah mm. and our ministry. So I just want to say, you know, thank you from from the bottom of my heart for for what you do and that ministry. And thank you to Jeff too. I know he's yeah. he's not here now. Um, but it's been great. And Jeff knows better than anyone that I've had my ups and downs. There's days when there's days when I want to quit and there's days when I want to run through a brick wall for this vision that I see. And his role helps me, helps guide me and direct me towards what God has for me. Um, and that's been so helpful. So yeah, thank you. And thank Jeff for, for seed sports and what you guys do. But one thing that I want to hear a little bit more about is when I talk with Jeff and when I talk with you and seed sports and anybody that's a part of that, I always hear you guys talk about redeeming sports. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe share a little bit about what that means and how that sort of vision came about? Sure. sure. Uh, but first I need to say to Noah, that's just one now, one of my favorite stories, what Bjorn just said. Mm. So he, <laughs> I love it. What he just was expressing was that, that that's the thrill of our hearts. So um, now on the issue of redeeming sports, okay. Um, most of the people that are involved in the history of sport and sport ministry have looked at sports as primarily a bridge or what has often been called a platform, a platform to speak the gospel from and to share the gospel. And it certainly is one of those, particularly uh, you see that with professional athletes or coaches where they have an incredible opportunity to share that. But, mo but I don't hear very often that when the gospel is integrated into the life of a person, it ought to change the way they play, whatever the sport is. And in fact, the history of Christians playing sport is often riddled with guys that are some of the worst offenders at some of the violations that are out there because it's only viewed as a platform. As long as I'm expanding my platform, then it really doesn't matter how I play. Mm-hmm. But God, it, it, when we see the gospel as a story that he's been telling from the very beginning, we understand that redemption doesn't only just apply to people, but it applies to every realm of creation that has been marred by the fall. Mm. So when Jesus says in Revelation uh, 21, I am making all things new, he doesn't say I am making all people new. Although he is making people new, he's emphasizing there that He is about the redemption of not just people. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the redemption of people, but I'm trying to expand the view of redemption to the realms that are broken from the fall. And sports is certainly one of those realms. You could could talk about politics. You could talk about art. You could talk about literature. You could talk about business. You could talk about families. Those are all of those realms. But too often, sports has been neglected as a realm that needs redemption. So when we think of redemption, then we think of this. God had in mind a plan for whatever that realm is that was was expressed in creation, the original plan. 
the original design. Now, it falls in the second chapter, what we call the fall, where people, but also um, are corrupted, but that corruption spreads throughout creation. And then redemption is about the restoration of the original plan that that comes in the last chapter to completion or what's called culmination in the new heavens and new earth. So then the question becomes, where do you see sports and competition in the original plan? And some would say it's not there. One, uh, we were, uh, Noah, you mentioned earlier that uh, C.S. Lewis is a great mind. I think he's one of the best minds in the last several hundred. I've read every one of his books. He is a oh, good. incredible man. But he speaks about pride as being competitive. Mm. And if you get rid of competition, you get rid of pride. That's in the great sin in mere Christianity. If I was going to speak to Clive, which I, I would be very doing that very humbly, <laughs> I would say, I just wish you would add a word, even though you're a linguist who speaks unbelievably and writes unbelievably well. I wish you would say that pride is about worldly competition. Mm-hmm. Pride is about competition after the fall. But there is competition in the garden. And I say that people, if you can't find it in Genesis 1 and 2, which are the chapters in the original design before the fall, then you're in agreement with a lot of people in the world that competition is bad. You can go to countries in the world today where they'll tell you you shouldn't play sports if you're a Christian. Still. And America. And and some, it's true. No, it's growing because the brokenness is so bad in some places, right? Um, But so then I say there is competition in Genesis 1 and 2 where it's striving with. Competition after the fall is striving what? Against. Mm -hmm. It's win at all costs. Where striving with is two players or two teams working together to bring out more of the God-given attributes that are in them to glorify the creator that made them. So you imagine you've tasted of that. When you're playing somebody maybe in a ping pong game or some one-on-one tennis or basketball, and it's close, right? Mm-hmm. It's close. And you're pushing, pushing, pushing each other, and they're getting a little bit better, and they're pushing you. And when the game is, is close, close, and somebody finally wins, you don't really care who won. Mm-hmm. You were just enjoying being a part of it, weren't you? Like I You just love being there because they were making you better and you were making them better. And God was being honored because he was bringing out more stuff that you didn't even know was there. Mm. If he wouldn't have pushed you or she wouldn't have pushed that person, that wouldn't even you wouldn't even know was there. But the competition actually drew it out. That's what godly um, competition is designed to be. So we want to redeem it by restoring it back to more of a striving with, not striving against. Wow. Mm. And that way, and it can be done that way. It's being done that way. There are men and women playing their sport or involved in their competition where they're more concerned with how their teammates are playing and making them better or even their opponents than they are about winning that game. And then that's when competition has gotten redeemed because it's been restored back to that original design. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That, that That's so good. And I, man, thanks so much for sharing that, that, Every time I hear you talk about redeeming sports and some of the vision and mission behind, you know, how seed sports came about and, 
and, and really this overarching picture of, you know, really, okay, does God care about sports? You know, exactly. sort of that overarching exactly right. question there. It, it, it fires me up. And I, I heard it said recently, I was talking with um, the guy I live with. He's a pastor at a church and his senior pastor, they're doing a series on sin. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I want to, I want to hear a little bit more about this. And the thing that he, the biggest message he wanted to portray, and it was a seven message series is he said, the biggest message we want to portray is that God is the creator. Satan is not. Mm-hmm. And the sin that is in this world, Satan is the distorter, mm-hmm. not the creator. So mm-hmm. Satan distorts what God has already created. Yeah, God has created things with a plan to be good. God has created family to be good. God has created sports to be good. God has created exactly. music to be good. Exactly. Satan comes in and he distorts what has already been created to be evil. And that's right. why we can see evil in sport. That's why we can see evil in families. We can see evil in music is because Satan distorts that. And that's why I love this picture of let's redeem sports and get back to the original design of what did God design this for? And all of the sins that we have, they can be redeemed back to the original design. Pride, that can be redeemed into something that is healthy and that is good. Lust, that can be redeemed into something that is healthy and that is good. Right. And that's the, the biggest reminder to me that, man, God is so big, Satan is so small. Right. Because all yeah. Satan can do is just try to try to toy with what God has created, where God God's the one that created it. Right. And so I just I think that is such a powerful, such a powerful thing to understand and to wrap our heads around. And when we can do that, that's when we can see how everything can be good. Mm. Yeah, and you can see how it makes the world of sport and competition so much more than a platform. Mm-hmm. You can see that now it can actually display the glory of God in the way it's played. And it it now elevates sport way beyond what most people think of sport. Mm-hmm. They think of it as just a recreation, uh, and it's not. And that goes back to really Genesis 1 and 2, and that's a whole other lesson really on where it is there. And I'd love to you know, talk about that maybe at some point. Where is sport in Genesis 1 and 2? Where is competition? But what what when you look at that way, you look at that passage, you come away with understanding the importance of play. Mm-hmm. You will, it, it is astounding how valuable play can really be and then why the enemy goes to such effort to distort it like you were talking about to mar it, just like he does with other things that are valuable. But you see, oh, this is why there's such brokenness in sport. This is why the enemy has done so much work to try to distort it and into the brokenness that it is today, because it is so valuable. And we we often don't hear that in the world around us. Even as you said, no, not here, but I mean, not even around the world, but even here in the United States. So yeah, it's very true. Mm -hmm. When we were starting the sports ministry here, I was having a lot of these conversations with staff members, congregation members, pastors at our church. And the, the lead pastor at our church was one of the biggest advocates for sports ministry with me. And he saw this collective vision that we had, and he believed in me and validated this vision that I had for this ministry. And he shared with me just, just a couple months ago about a conversation he had about a week after the church actually hired me for this position. And he was talking with a woman from our church, and she was basically having this conversation with him saying, 
I don't understand why we are putting money into this. I don't understand why we are focusing on this, that kind of conversation. And, and I love the way that he responded with this. And I definitely would not have responded in that way because I get fired up and I get hostile pretty quick, but cause I'm passionate. But what he said is he asked her just a simple question. He said, what is the largest house of worship here in Buffalo? And Great the, the woman that he was asking, she answers like, oh, well, you know, maybe the, the chapel up in the North Towns is large non-denominational church. And he was like, no, not that one. He's like, oh, well, maybe this church, is that one bigger? And he's like, no, not that church. And he says, it's two miles away from us here in, in Orchard Park, New York. He said, it's Buffalo Bill Stadium. He said, that is the largest house of worship in Buffalo. And we know, and no one I know, and the Bills just clinched the AFC East, and this city is 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 buzzing. We love the Buffalo Bills. We right. love sports. And we, dare I say, worship the Buffalo Bills. We worship sports. Mm-hmm. And he said, because of that truth here in our city, here in our immediate community, he said, that's why we need somebody in our church. That's why our church needs to focus on redeeming sports. Yeah. That's right. why we need to focus. And if we can do that through youth sports of teaching our youth and coaches what it's like to play and coach for the glory of God, mm-hmm. then that can be a catalyst to transforming the city. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's the large vision and that's the dream, but it's got to start small. And it starts with our church understanding that sports aren't bad. They can be good. And, and I, I love that. And so that's, I just, I challenge our listeners to think of that, of, in your communities, what does your community worship? Mm-hmm. What is the largest house of worship? And it may be musical artists. I, I don't know. I dare say, I don't know Nashville, but my guess is that maybe Nashville, it's music. Maybe music is one of the largest. The Titans. The, uh, <laughs> probably not the Titans, but <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I, I challenge our listeners. What's it, what's it in your community? What is it for you even? Because I know, I know for me, sports has been the biggest piece of my worship for the longest time. And I wish our listeners could see Bjorn right now because it's like his hair is on fire. He's, he's, <laughs> he's on it right now. I love it. I'm sweating. No, I'm sweating. Not this just this sweat is room. the sweat room. So, no, it's great. And, man, that, that was so good. And I appreciate just the just your heart with that. I think I think for, for so long with sports ministry, even here at Watermark, Bjorn has such a passion for what's going on within this community here. And so... Bob, for a guy like you and your ministry to pour into him, that affects me and that affects what we do here. And I, I, and I know he said thank you. I want to say thank you publicly as well and give honor where honor is due. Today I was reading through Proverbs and I was reading for Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. And I mm-hmm. think you have done that with us as a ministry. And I would say thank you. And I think our listeners will walk away and be like, wow, <laughs> I don't know Bob personally, but I can walk away and be like, wow, I can tell the flow of what God is doing. It It's a light and you are a light. And that, and I, I can totally see that. Um, and I want to say thank you again. So for you, what are, how can people find you seed sports in your book? Well, I, I want to say, first of all, I, we at the, at seed consider it an honor mm-hmm. to walk alongside and serve guys like you in the local church. Uh, it, it's an honor and a privilege for us. So I, I just thank you for allowing us an opportunity to even do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's we get to do what we feel like God has made us to do mm-hmm. in that way. And so, um, and that allows us to sense more and more, as Eric Little said, the pleasure of God. When mm-hmm. I run, when we do, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He said, when we do what we're, we think 
God's created us to do, we feel his pleasure. So it's really an honor. Uh, you give us a place to do that. Um, the best place to connect with us would be on uh, seedsports.org for us as an organization, uh, seedsports.org. And then there, there, if you're a chaplain, there'll be a chaplain's tab. If you're a church, there'll be a church tab. With regard to, and, and you can click on that and look around there. Um, with regard to the book, it's available on Amazon uh, for single copies. And then we have bulk order uh, capabilities as well. And that's at doesgodcarewins.com if you want to order bulk amounts. Like we've had a number of churches that give them away to all their rookie or first-year coaches or all their coaches or teams that, and coaches that give them away to their teams. And so if, you, if you're going to order a, a more than 10, you ought to get on the bulk order because you can save a significant amount of money. So either on Amazon or on doesgodcarewins.com. It's a great book, especially to do with like a small group. Yeah. Such a good book. So yeah, I would encourage all small groups. I would encourage you to ask this question and have conversations about it before you read the book. Absolutely. Um, and then as you read it together, hopefully that can help guide and, and direct conversation um, in a healthy way. And that's what I appreciate so much about the book, Bob, is just how, how filled it was with God's word. Mm. And sometimes I read Christian books and it's what I, what I read is opinion. And opinions from some people are good, and, and I appreciate opinions. But I felt like when I was reading your, your book, it was every page or two, there were scripture references, passages referenced, where I could tell that your work was influenced by God's word. And, and, that, it, and that's what I look for when I read Christian literature. I, I look for an author who is going to do his work and research ahead of time with God through prayer, through discernment through dedication of his own life before putting it on, on paper for us to read. And so I, I appreciate that. And that's what I would appreciate. I, you know, encourage small groups or, or people. And to, it was like you were a guide that. within that book. That's what I really appreciated too. Like you said, Bjorn, it, it felt like you were a guide. It wasn't like, here's the answer. This is the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, it was so good. Yeah. yeah. So that was really the purpose of the book. I, you guys have known, I, I talk about why I don't like the no answer. And why I don't like the yes answer. And, uh, so then what am I, I'm stuck with coming. Well, then what's the answer? Well, okay. So, and, and we've got, by the way, I should mention, um, we've got small group materials that are available for free. Mm. If, if you'll just use doesgodcarewins.com and put a message there, we'd be glad to send those to you both as a discussion guide. If you want to read the book and then you want to like discuss it at the end of each chapter, or we've also got a three session study where you can just address the question. But yeah, you know, I, I want to emphasize something you said. It's a great question. Mm. It, it's a great question because it's a question. Lots of people are asking, particularly this season of the year is when they're asking more than ever, because football coaches and players tend more than any other sport to acknowledge God at the end of the games mm -hmm. or during the games. Absolutely. So whether it's the college uh, football championship or whether it's the Super Bowl or the playoffs, you're typically going to get a, a coach or a player that's going to give glory to God at the end of that game. And so then the question comes up, does God care, really care about this? And so I would say, you know, ask yourself, well, how would you answer that? And then why would you answer it that way? What, what, what is underneath the answer? And does that answer push you toward God or away from God? Mm -hmm. And then, and then the same thing is ask the people around you. I, I often with just relatives, you know, people I've just gotten to know if I'm exposed to something, Hey, what do you think? Does God care about that? Mm -hmm. And then why do you think yes? Or why do you think no? 
And then, okay, and just understand more about them, of what they're thinking, helping them unpack that. So I think it's a great question. I didn't make up the question. It's just a great question. Yeah. Because it reveals what you really think about God, right? And his involvement in the world. And what what is it about his love? Is it is it infinite or is it compartmentalized to just a few things that he cares about? Or then is it conditional or unconditional? Mm. Yeah, it, it's so good. And, and Bob, just sort of as we wrap up today, um, I just want to ask you, do you have any just final final thoughts, remarks, questions, anything like that for our listeners? Well, maybe just a, that was what I, that was really that with regard to ask the question. Sure. Ask yourself the question, not because I'm interested in you buying the book, but because I'm interested in you probing into your heart and how you really think about God. Because how you think about God will either draw you to him or away from him. Wow. And as particularly as a coach, an athlete, or an impassioned spectator, if you think the answer is no, that God doesn't care, then you've got to figure out what do you do with the fact that you care. Mm. Because every coach, every player, and every impassioned spectator cares who wins. Absolutely they care. So they're then either left to distance themselves from God because he doesn't care. Mm. And then they're actually left to ask the question, what really does God care about? Wow. And most importantly, as Philip Yancey would say, author Philip Yancey says, the number one question that every person wants to know is, do I matter to God or does he really care about me? That's another way of saying that. So you're left really wondering, what does he care about? And does he even care about me if you think no? And then if you think yes, why does he care? And is there some conditional reason that he is favoring caring for you or for somebody else more than another person. So just that, that will then either again, push you away or draw you, uh, push you away or draw you close to God, depending upon any answer. So it's a valuable question that's very relevant to our world today. So good. Absolutely. Yeah. So guys, as you think about that, ask your friends, ask your family, ask your pastor, uh, and just start seeking answers. Yeah. When you read the Bible, ask that question as you read, Ask God, talk to him directly, ask yeah. him if he cares. And, and I encourage you to, if you, if you do, or you're interested to check out Bob's book and it does, it walks you through a good way to, to help think about that. So Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I had a lot of fun today and I hope our listeners enjoyed this conversation. I hope they learned something as well. So thank you for joining us today, Bob. Thank you, Bjorn. Thanks, Noah. It was great to be with you guys. Thank you, Bob, for joining us today. Bjorn, what was some of your reflection points? I know you summed it up a little bit towards the end there. What what, what did you take away from today? Yeah, man, I, I took away a lot, and I've already shared a lot of that. Um, but the thing I want to I want to bring back to our listeners' attention was when Bob was talking about sports ministry being a bridge, when sports, not sports ministry, but sports are a bridge in a laboratory. Um, and I just want to reiterate what Bob was saying about that. Sports are a bridge because it's a powerful tool that we can connect people to the church and to Christ. It's something that we can use to connect. It's it, it's a bridge between two different cultures. It's a bridge between me and somebody else, myself, my opponent, myself, my teammate. And it's a laboratory because it's a safe space to ask questions and to seek answers. It's a place that we can really refine who we are and we can train ourselves to be more godly. Uh, 
you know, sports bring out the best and the worst in people, as mm-hmm. we see in golf. You miss a shot badly, and you see people break clubs. You see people, you know, swearing out the person they're with <laughs> or by themselves. And it's right. sports can bring out that, but also sports has the great power to provide an opportunity and a safe space for you to refine who you are. Mm-hmm. In doing that, in what he's talking about redeeming sports, if we put God back in sports, and sports and competition are brought back to the way that God designed them, then we can refine and train ourselves to be more like Christ through sports. Right. So that that I love that idea of sports as a bridge and a laboratory. I think those two key points are, are huge in understanding the benefit of sports in our society and culture. Absolutely. What about you, Noah? I love that. I think sports revealing character, that was one like one of many points. I think one of a few sports that come to mind that reveal character like no other. One is golf. And one that you're going to laugh at me because I'm from Colorado, but I ski, but I also snowboard too. Snowboarding takes me to another levels of character that the self-control has to be. Yeah, it's so, because there's so many times when you fall at that level and you just whack your tailbone. Oh, it takes it. It's like, oh, but you got to get back up and you keep going. Yeah. Um, But at the end of it, I think my favorite point was what makes a a great leader is what makes a great coach Mm -hmm. and thinking about those things. So, yeah. And I think that's, that's key because, you know, our audience, myself, you, we think in terms of sports. So when you ask, okay, what makes a great leader? Okay, let's put it in terms that we understand this conversation, this right. perspective, this this experience that we've had in sports. And okay, great leaders, coaches are leaders. So what makes a great coach is also what we could say makes a great leader. Now, right, a great leader is not limited to being a great coach, right? But that can be part of it. And his his three points I want to I want to bring back to the three life lessons that he learned from sports were huge because it was all about self reflection, mm-hmm. right? It was all about what he's learned about himself and about life through sports. The first being that he longs to be good. He seeks glory. The second being that he pursues that glory. It's self-centered. It's what he wants for himself. And then the third is he learned how deep God's love is for him. Mm. And those three things, that's a journey. That's almost one life lesson in and of itself. It's two things that he learned that pointed him towards learning that third thing about God's love, that no matter how much he pursues that you know we as humans pursue our own glory that God always loves us more mm. God will always pursue us more than we can pursue our own glory and I think that's huge because that led him into his testimony about right. where he came in Christ so I, I think those are critical and that's you know when you think about sports it's what have they taught you about yourself mm. and, and I think of a story and I'll share this briefly about how sports can reveal things about people is there was a guy I knew that he played so- he played college soccer and he met a girl um, they dated for a while they ended up getting married and this guy was he was known for being having a real bad temper when he played soccer and he had so many yellow cards and red cards and was just would you know be kicking things and just was really angry phenomenal nice guy off the field when he went on the field he was super angry mm-hmm. now he you know met this girl they got married all this stuff and he was playing semi-pro soccer and she went to her game and I was you know I was with her and my dad and some other people and when she was watching he had one of his sort of temper tantrums. He ended up getting a card. He got, you know, sent off for a little bit. It was just a yellow card. And she made a comment like, man, why was he so angry? Like, that's so unlike him. Mm. And I remember I was kind of like, what do you mean that's so unlike him? Like, that's he does that all the time in soccer. But the reality of it is, is she had never seen him play soccer. Mm. All throughout dating, 
engagement until after they got married. And sports reveals something about him, his passion, right? That guy's passion for sports, that anger that wells up inside. And she hadn't seen that side of him because maybe, and I'm just sort of speculating, maybe she hadn't seen him in a position that would bring about that passion or anger. Right. And so it's sports brought that up. And, and I don't know what their conversations were like from there about all this stuff, but it's something where it's like, yeah, sports revealed that in him. Right. And sports reveal in me and you something as well. Um, so for our listeners, what, what, what do sports reveal about you? Is it good? Is it bad? How do you hone that in to be something that is good? Mm. So, yeah. And, and one more point with that, too, of even when I talked about just the C.S. Lewis quote and the sports in the fall, I, what I loved about how he summed that up, and this was towards the end of the podcast, is are you striving with God or are you striving against? Mm. And that's the question for our listeners. Are you striving with or are you striving against? God cares all the, about the little things to the big things. And we've talked about that before. Does God care who wins? That's the question that you. I want you as the listener to dive in mm-hmm. yourself and get his book. Do it, do it with somebody. Bjorn and I did it together. It was great. Yeah. And yeah. I don't have the same perspective of that question anymore of does God care who wins? So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating question. It reveals a lot about what we think about God. Mm-hmm. So good. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Thank you, Bob, for joining us today. Such a great way to finish off the leadership series. If you guys have not checked those previous episodes out, go do it and go share with a friend if you think that they could be impacted by it. And next week, everybody, we're starting something a little bit different. We're doing a sports and clothing series. Some of these guys run shops. Some run their own businesses, but they're in the sports and faith world, and it's amazing. And next week, we're starting off the sports and clothing series off with Bjorn's cousins. And these two guys are fascinating. Their names are Danny and Kenny King, and they run, they tailor suits to so many different people, a lot of which are professional athletes. They're based out of Minneapolis. An amazing conversation. Here's an excerpt. I think God cares how you feel about yourself. Mm. And I, I think God cares about how you present yourself. And I think it's important to him that we are presenting ourselves in the best possible way mm. and that we like what we see when we look in the mirror. I mean, he created us and I think he wants us to like what he created. Thanks for listening to the Sweat Room Sports and Faith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to stay connected with us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Watermark Sports, on Twitter at Sweat Room Pod, and our new blog at watermarkwesleyan.com slash blog. Until next time, get it, got it, and give it. Thanks for listening to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesley and Church. 